If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh my goodness, it is so awesome to be here with you guys. And uh, let me say, first of all, my name. I am Keith Giles. I'm the author of several books, including the most recently published from Choir Publishing, uh, Jesus Unveiled, Forsaking Church as We Know It, for Ecclesia as God Intended. And I am joined by my two marvelous co-hosts, Jamal and Matt. Guys, introduce yourselves. Say hi. Hi, friends. This is Jamal Javanji. I am uh, the author of Living for a Living, most recently released through Choir. Um, back in April, and it's a pleasure to be back on the Heritage Capiara podcast with you all. Yeah, and I'm Matthew J. DiStefano, and I've uh, I've got a new book coming out. It's called Devoted to Fuck, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's um, like yeah, uh, devoted as fuck. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be out this it's gonna be out this fall. I don't have a date yet, but uh, I'm gonna try to get that that sucker out before your book, Keith. So uh, no, no, no. The, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, yours is coming out on your birthday slash my wife's birthday. I'm gonna have to beat you to it. Okay. So uh, well, good luck. And, and if I don't, then uh, it'll come out shortly after. But it'll be coming out this year. So uh, everyone, stay tuned for that and be on the lookout. And um, I would I would like to announce just a passion that I have in life. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, uh, other than the Ohio state Buckeyes. Hey! I thought, I thought it was Michigan Buckeyes, Michigan. No, 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 but not those people, <laughs> but no, um, no, I'm a good person. So, um, basically, um, we, I'm really passionate that, you know, I, I, one of the things I try to do every episode is just really emphasize the fact that we are the only podcast that has a hotline and until somebody proves me wrong, I'm going to go with that. So we're the only podcast that has a hotline and our number is 240-343-7379. So again, 240-343-7379. And um, yeah, I, I, I just, I have a really strong feeling that we should just jump right into the, to the, uh, to the hotline. Congratulations, Keith. Matt and Jamal for two freaking years of the Heretic Hotline. Can you imagine? You guys stated on episode three, you don't know how long it's going to last before they burn this place down. Congratulations! Heresy! Heresy! Congratulations. Good luck. (laughs) And thank you so much. Yes, we are. We are no one's more surprised than we are that this thing is still going so strong. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we do have a hotline <clears throat> as the <laughs> as the uh the listener announced. So what if, you know, here's just I want to throw this out there. Like I know we we plan our episodes really well, but can I just throw this out there? What if we just just on the fly devote this episode entirely to the hotline? What do you guys think of that? Well, I think yeah, we have a lot of backlog. We need to clear the pipes, so uh, we probably should just go through all this stuff here. We people have been loading up this hotline now for the last two years, and we have so many texts and voicemails. We probably should just uh, you know kind of clear the decks. Totally, totally. And thank you to all the listeners that are out there faithfully. You know, every every episode just 
calling in the hotline and leaving texts and messages. We really appreciate it. So we, this is for you. This episode is for you, the listeners strictly. It's all about the hotline. Yeah. So why don't we get into it? it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So we have, and I'm just glad I refilled the the ink cartridges on the, on the uh, fax machine. So all these faxes coming in, but we're going to get to the first one. Okay. This is a, a text from a listener. This is quote, Hey gang, I've been trying to understand the relationship between faith and works and how non-believers may be justified before God. James teaches us that faith without works is dead. But my question is, are works without faith alive? Hmm. Jesus says that it is those who do the will of the father who will enter the kingdom. So what is this? What is this will? And is it something that can be done without a knowledge of salvation? And if this is the case, why does the New Testament make such a strong emphasis on the need for evangelism? Mm-hmm. Thanks for your work, Aaron from Ontario. Oh, yeah, that's a wow. that's a big one. There's a there's a lot there. It's a lot of there's a lot there. Uh, so many good questions. Yeah, uh, Matt, you want to want to tackle it first? Well, uh, yeah, I'll tackle one one part of it, and uh, the, the 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 part that says Jesus says that the that it is those that do the will of the father who will enter the kingdom. Um, yeah, I, I think there with, with, with kingdom talk, uh, as we've talked before on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is about here and now this is about living a certain way, yep. um, a certain ethic, a certain, uh, other oriented ethic of love as Eric Breton might put it. Um, so I think it is those that um, are non-coercive, that are loving, because if the Father is love, then it's those who live in that orientation toward their human family. And, and it, it, that is how the kingdom manifests on earth. So I, I, that would be my initial thought just on that little section of the, uh, of the text. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I know there's a lot to mm-hmm. unpack with all the other stuff. There is. I, I think what I'd like to jump in on is and i I agree i would would totally affirm that matt like it's important i think when people ask questions especially if you're coming from an evangelical background um words a lot of times have these you know we can say the same words but sometimes the words can mean very different things depending on the context on which a person is bringing them to the table so when 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 evangelicals typically talk about salvation or entering the kingdom it's usually colored through salvation means saved from mm. wrath, saved from right. God's wrath. So they're thinking of being saved means saved from punishment. And then entering the kingdom means going to hell. When you die. Right. When you right. Die. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and that's not right. So, to unpack yeah. that is to say, okay, no, the kingdom of heaven is a state of being. It's, it's, a, it's a reality that you have access to right now not just when you die, even though we have access, there is no death in that sense. I mean, the body, we transition beyond the body, but there is no death. So this idea, like, so the kingdom, we always have access to the kingdom of heaven, which is a state of being. And that's just really key to, to, to understand that. And so when it comes to, um, when we're approaching things like salvation, that's, that's what that's about. Also the idea, um, about, you know, um, evangelism is when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about presenting information. So, 
Um, why would we want to present information? Yes, evangelism is important for sure, but not so that God won't kill people and torture them, you know, for all of eternity. That's not how yep. that's presented. Yep. We want to share information so that people will be able to to switch their state from suffering, um, which is the kingdom of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all that. That is a those are all analogies, metaphors for a state of being. So I and the reason I do my work in the world. Because I really want people to know what's real, the reality of that we're loved, that we have access, that God is with us, that we live in a plentiful, abundant universe. And when we want to help people come into alignment with that through information and, and realizing certain things, then uh, people then experience eternal, the quality of God's life, which is eternal life, which is right now. So that's why evangelism, evangelism is important, not because you know, people were going to go to hell. And I think, so what I hear a lot in this text is a lot of, you know, can someone be saved without certain knowledge? Well, I would say you can, you can't experience if, if we understand salvation to mean life. So when salvation in the new Testament, literally, it just means life. So this idea, can somebody experience life without certain knowledge? Well, it would be difficult if you believe lies, it's going to be hard for you to experience this quality of abundant life. So I would just say that to the listener, like, yeah, you need certain knowledge to experience a high quality of life because we've been, in, we've been, in, in, you know, affected by a lot, by lies. So that's why evangelism is important in my understanding. Yeah. Aaron, thank you for this question. Cause I think it's a, it's actually a great question because what it does is expose the fact that there's so much confusion Christians have about all these topics. What is salvation? What is evangelism? What is the kingdom? And just like you guys pointed out, kingdom is not code for going to heaven when you die. Um, evangelism is not code for say this prayer so you don't go to heaven when you die. Um, salvation isn't about escaping, you know, Jesus didn't save us from God, right? Um, he saved us from our sins and that's a different different thing. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's this whole thing of like, hopefully this helps. Let me try, Aaron, let me see if this helps. You understand kind of closer to what Jesus is saying. Um, and this goes to your question. Here's the thing. If you love your enemy, you have entered the kingdom of God. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you have now entered the kingdom of God. Mm. That's what it means to enter the kingdom of God. Mm. In other words, you have done the things that Jesus has, has said, which is, right, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, bless those who curse you, love your neighbor as yourself. Anytime you do those things, guess what? You've just entered the kingdom of God. Because again, it is a present reality. And it's a, it's a present way of living your life and being. So now this is the reason that, and by the way, that's exactly what Jesus told them in the Great Commission. He told them to go and preach that. In other words, to obey everything I've commanded. In other words, do the things that I talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the evangelism. It's not, it's not again, hurry up, make sure everybody prays this prayer so that they, they can go to heaven. Um, but again, we've been confused, unfortunately, uh, by the mispreaching and the misteaching of, of all these concepts. Yeah. And just, just one thing real quick. I think people will do the things that Jesus said to do when we actually enter the kingdom, which is a state of being. So it's not, it's not a performance based thing. When you, when you perceive a reality, then you, because everything, all behavior comes from identity. So when you perceive what's true, then you can flow in that. And the whole idea of non-believers. So this, what I, I, I detect in the question is like, you know, how can believers and non-believers be justified before God? Well, everybody is all already justified before God. So we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 
Oh, no, no, no. Don't hit that heresy button. That's it's, not it's heresy. It's idea of believers no. and non-believers, which is an us and them mentality. Right. Right. There, there are certain people who have certain understandings. That's what I would refer to as believers. And there are certain people who may be ignorant uh, or not awakened to certain truths or realities, and we could call them unbelievers. But I don't. I think you have to be careful about seeing people through the lens of you're a believer and you're not, and this person's justified and this person's not, because that is is hogwash. You look at Jesus and you look at how he he operated with humanity. He he treated everybody as if they like he didn't look at certain people as being outside and certain people as being inside. It's not how he treated people. Right, so exactly. uh, I think yeah. we have to be careful with yeah. that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh great, great, great text. Thank you, Aaron from Ontario. We're gonna move on to the next one, which is quote, hello H H H Triple H. I am new to your podcast, so forgive me if this has been covered, but I am curious on your thoughts on the Apocrypha. P.S. I am super excited about my Agape Against the Machine shirt that I ordered just last night. End quote. Well, thank you for ordering. Yes, God bless you. If you want all uh, all of our (laughs) sick-ass swag, go to heretichappyhour.com and click the store link, and there's all that stuff there. But um, yeah, I love the Apocrypha. I love all that stuff. I mean, just... Real quick, yeah, I, I I think all of those things add a deeper, uh, richer, wider, broader context to what's going on in the uh, ancient Near East during that time. So I, I love all that shit. Like, I don't want to ever uh, just stick to my Protestant canon and say this is the holy word of God or, or that this is the only inspired texts like i i i like to broaden it out and yeah give me all those give me all those writings i think they're great i I would i would say though i agree with you i mean i i would say in the sense of is it in other words if you're saying is it okay to read them uh is it okay to study them i'd say absolutely sure you should for the reasons matt just said because it, it gives you a window into the mindset of the ancient peoples living at that time um beyond what we see in in the canonized scripture verses however at the same time, I, I think you should treat them the way I would encourage you to treat the rest of the Bible, which is to say, um, not that, oh, thus saith the Lord. Like, I, don't read the book of Enoch and well, say, oh, no, no, this is inspired no. and God is going to do all the crazy crap. No, 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 no. exactly. <laughs> no, but but it is. But it's so it's helpful to take a step back from it and just read it and say, oh, this is what people believed back then. So people thought back then. And there's still there are some really great things kind of embedded, you know, little nuggets you can you can. Uh, pull out and you'll be blessed by in some of the apocrypha, but there's plenty of stuff you'll also read and say, that was the weirdest crap I've ever seen in my life. Um, (laughs) Much like a lot of Bible, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't exist. So the apocrypha therefore doesn't exist either. So whatever. I will say, but the only reason we have a term called apocrypha is because we had a a fourth century uh, set of councils that decided what was considered inspired revelation, written revelation. And so therefore there was a group that got left out that some people had included or, or referred to. And that's, it got designated as a, you know, that those list of writings as, as apocryphal, um, meaning they don't, they're not, what do we do with these? Cause they don't really, they're not really scripture because scripture is only the approved, um, you know, canon. And of course, you know, some cat Roman Catholics. Now, if you, if you're reading a Roman Catholic Bible, what's called apocrypha is actually a part of their canon. Um, so origin, so really apocrypha is more of a Protestant sure. designation for the books that, um, that they decided to, 
you know, not, not accept, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, but, but I think the original from correct me if I'm wrong, but the original canon did not include the Apocrypha. Uh, and then those books or, or writings were later canonized <clears throat> by the Roman Catholic church with the Protestants then later rejected because they weren't original. That's my understanding of the Apocrypha, but nevertheless, nevertheless, all, all writings are inspired if you see inspiration in them. And if you don't, then they're not inspired. <laughs> right. No, but that's, that's, that's what it says. Actually, that's how that verse uh, in Timothy is, was more properly uh, translated. You know, all scripture is God breathed because the word, our English Bibles use the word scripture, but the right. word in the Greek is actually just a common word for writings. Right, graphic, so all yeah. writings are God breathed. Yeah. And uh, are all, all, in other words, all the God-breathed writings are helpful. But the, our job is to determine which are the God-breathed writings. I'm going to limb. I'm going to say this about you, Keith. You're right. You're a writer. You write books. Your mm-hmm. writings. I would. I would go out on a limb and say your writings are God. There are lots of things that you've written that are God-breathed. I'm going to use that. Jamal, I'm going to make. I'm going to make a meme of you saying that on my next book. Matt, you've written things that are. That are that are God breathed inspired. Oh, I know that. I, I'm just I'm just saying Keith hasn't. You know, I'm just I have. Maybe you know. oh, Maybe oh, tell me <laughs> all the writing, all the writing the are inspired. Beef, the beef is on. The, the gloves is are on, off, Keith. baby. <laughs> let's do this. Hey, yeah. let's uh, let's get to the next voicemail though. I think we got I think we got a voicemail yeah, next. A good one. Hey guys, this is Sean from Katali. I uh, just wanted to share a Bible story with you guys and see what you thought. Um, my wife was leading a Bible study with some girls that we were ministering to a few years ago, and they were reading Genesis chapter 3, and one of the girls asked the question, Auntie Mary, we understand that fruits that Eve ate came from her vagina. Is this true? To which my wife had to say, well... Let's look at the text. If we're going to say that the Bible tells us these things, where does the Bible say it comes from? They obviously answered the tree. Um, and we found out that uh, through their teacher that the Christian religious education system here uh, was teaching that the fruit did indeed come from Eve's vagina. Um, maybe that might be a topic of discussion for uh a Triple H podcast down the road. I don't know, but I uh, hope this helps you out and have a great day. What the hell? I don't I even know what to say about that. <laughs> I haven't fucking heard that shit. <laughs> that is some interesting weirdness there. Wait, so this is there's actually a Christian church that's teaching this to kids in a school? That's... Uh, I, that's I, I, I guess. And they call us heretics, man. That's nuts. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, but is it surprising? Well, is it surprising? Well, no, it's not surprising that that we would teach that's some sort of shame-based, anti-woman, patriarchal, uh, puritanical bullshit. I mean, that's I mean, that's what I get from it. It's just an it's just another way to shame women. I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> well, just to show that there are yeah, women do get the brunt of sexual shame right. and not only that yeah. sex in let's general just, i mean yeah let's just blame it all on the women let's just blame it on the women yeah, and, so and, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. Uh, in, in, we've there's a there's a, a denomination called the roman catholic church and 
they uh, sure. it's kind of popular. It's kind of, yeah, it's popular. kind of popular. It's not one of these, you know, it's been around for a while. It's been yeah, around for a while. Yeah, they used to teach in the mid ages, medieval times. I don't know if they've actually officially. It's interesting. The Roman Catholic Church is really interesting because they have such a long history of so. I mean, obviously, it's such a broad umbrella of a of a of a organization. But they used to teach some really, really. They've done some really, probably probably some of the most evil things that that could be done oh, have yeah. been done by that organization. But not only that, they've taught some really messed up things. And I don't know that they've actually, so sometimes they'll, it, some things that get so egregious that they'll actually come out and say, okay, we were wrong. We made a mistake. There'll be an official church statement or a papal, a papal encyclical that will like, you know, officially correct something or state something. But very, that's very rare because of the bureaucracy of that machine. It's very rare for them to do that. But at one point, they actually taught that Mary was impregnated. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was impregnated through the ear of divine with divine. Well, yeah, of course. Semen. Yeah, so because because yeah. like that's you she because the the woman's genital area obviously was so unclean or you well, know God impure. Put there? Like I, that's that, weird. God could not <laughs> impregnate Mary through the natural. Yeah, I'm you not know, putting through, my penis anywhere near that vagina, but bring your but, ear over here. Is that not the most bizarre, crazy? I mean, it's just absolute. It is insane. I mean, obviously, I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, people operate from the perspective that they are, but that's just, that just, I think it's just revealing to how shameful, I think it comes from maybe some Gnostic tendencies, Gnostic ideas of, of just how, how, not just Gnosticism, but like obviously just the human shame factor around our bodies and sexual organs and how all of that is just seen as unclean and how anything godly or of the spirit could not, you know, have anything to do with something sexual or of that kind yeah. of nature. It is, it's just crazy. Yeah. It is insane. So, Hey, I'm, I'm going to read the next text. Yeah, please do. Uh, here we go. Uh, love the show. I was wondering your opinion on groups like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism. I was a JW for 32 years before leaving nine months ago. Wow, that's recent. Since they shun anyone who leaves, I've lost my parents and most all other family and friends. They are forbidden to even speak to me. Your show is a lifeline for me and lets me know that I'm not alone. I blog and write in hopes of one day the ones I love will free themselves as well. You all have been an inspiration to me. Keep up all the good work. All the good you're doing, your show is literally saving lives for ones like me that had been cast out. Uh, that is signed John from Texas. Wow. Thank you, John. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. So what do we, what do we think guys about what will we say about Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons? Stop coming to my house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're listening to the show though. Um, no. Well, here I'll just say, I'll just say uh, I almost became a Mormon. Uh, my family, when I was young, like around eight or nine years old, we actually, we had some Mormons come into our house and we visited a Mormon church. We did, we started practicing this little thing that Mormon families do called family home evening. Uh, we visited some, one of my dad's coworkers was Mormon and we went to their house and joined their family when they were doing their little, their little family things. And, um, and then, yeah, one night my dad just stood up and I don't know what happened. He had sort of this epiphany and said, nope not into this, kicked them out of the house. And that was the end of that. But, um, but we were close. I mean, we were pretty close to becoming Mormons. I think here's the thing, Mormon people and, and people and, and Jehovah's witnesses, people that are people who are Jehovah's witnesses, the people are beautiful. They're awesome. they they love God. They love each other. 
that, I mean, I've met many people who are Mormon and Jehovah's Witness. The people are great. Um, the organization, the system is controlling. It's cultic. It's, it's sort of even worse, if that's possible, than evangelical Christianity because they're using even more fear and even more control and even more manipulation to screw up people's lives. Uh, as you're evidenced here, John, in your text, that the fact that you've just changed your faith and your belief about something, you shouldn't have to lose your mom and dad and your your family and your friends and people that mean a lot to you. But unfortunately, uh, that's how people are taught and trained to behave uh, in these kind of cultic groups, the way they behave in a cultic way. And so, yeah, I, I think um, I would never condemn a person who is a member of a Mormon church for having Mormon beliefs or a member of a, of a JW church for having JW beliefs, but I would condemn uh, a church and a system that perpetuates that level of fear and toxic, toxic fear and toxic control and manipulation. Yeah, I would second that. I, uh, I actually dated a Mormon girl. Uh, I think it was my senior year. And uh, I remember my parents were so bent out of shape about it. And they were showing me all this stuff, the crazy stuff that they believe. But I remember thinking like, it's not that different than what we believed. Like they have planets and stuff that they can populate and all that stuff. We kind of make fun of it. But then it was like, well, we believe in the rapture and all that kind of shit. So it's like not that big of a deal. And I remember I only I only broke up with her because she wouldn't make out with me. But uh, I don't know. I guess they, I guess they weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Jamal, you got any you got any thoughts on this before I read our next text? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I have I used to, I remember as an evangelical looking at Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons as as we were told they are cults in the, when I was a you know traditional Christian evangelical. So that the, oh, those were cults. Those aren't Christian. They're not just another denomination like Methodists or Pentecostals. I mean, these are actually cults. And then, but then as I've, you know, you know, transitioned out of evangelicalism, um, I now understand that like, oh, there's probably a measure of truth in really anything. You know, you can see any group or movement, you can see that level of truth, but they, to me, the whole thing's a cult. So it's not just that, like, Clearly, you can look at Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and go, yeah, there, there, there are some really their organization, the way they treat people. When you know it's all about groupthink, and if you you deviate from groupthink, then you're ostracized and shunned. But that's a cult behavior for sure. Um, I've also watched, uh, I've been watching the the Netflix series The Family, mm. in which uh, very interesting. But you know what, The Family reminds me of when I watch that. It reminds me of everything I've experienced in even. I mean evangelical Christianity mainline or mainline churches or evangelical, like it's all cult like, but it's less cult. Like when I was involved in uh, smaller organic house church kind of movements, that's exactly what I experienced full on cult status. And that's what I, what, what, what this, this, this listener is describing. I've experienced that and I wasn't a Mormon and I wasn't a Jehovah's witness, you know? And so this, this, uh, this listener, um, uh, John from Texas uh, lost his family, lost his relationships because he, you know, left Jeho uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, group. Like I, I mean, so, so many Christians could say the same thing. So to me, it's it's really like m most of this is just it's just one big cult. And again, I don't think Jesus came to start a cult. Um, however, most of what religion is is very cult like. You know, just this idea of belonging being in something um we're already in the whole planet is already in so once you understand humanity as you know there's no such thing as in or out 
you know, even the, what, what we understand ecclesia to be, the church, is as an assembly of people that are really on a mission, but there's nothing to be in or out of. It's just simply a designation in my understanding. So again, once we start classifying certain groups, you you are in this group and now you're not in this group. To me, you've just ventured into cult territory and it, it could be, it could be abused when, it, when those boundaries get drawn. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for, thanks for the message. Uh, moving on to the next one. We've got a text quote. Hey guys, Spencer Holland from Atlanta, Georgia. I was listening to an older episode, number 35, lead, follow, or get out of the way. One thing Jamal mentioned was the role of pastor or leader was man-made. My question for you is, didn't God ordain Aaron and his sons as priests? I know Israel was meant to be a kingdom of priests, but didn't they always have someone in charge? Also, wasn't Jesus a rabbi? Was that role way different from what we see as a pastor today. Thanks. You guys kick ass end quote. So Jamal, do you want to maybe address that first part? Totally, totally. Well, okay. When when it comes to, when I say pastors are man, you know, the role of pastor is man-made what I'm referring to. And again, I'll go back to something that Jesus said. I think it was Matthew 23 when, when, um, He's referring to he's he's looking at the, he's talking to the disciples and he says, "Hey guys, he, he says look at look at how basically observe the way the system works. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the chief priests. Look at their seats." And he goes, "It shall not be so with you. Like you're not going to have the sense of hierarchy. For you are all brothers. You have no call no man you know leader because you have one. Call no man father because you have one. Call me. He just this wasn't this was." The deeper principle behind that is, is that there's no such thing as a hierarchy of people being above or below you. So the sense of authority, like there's no sense sense of an office, you know, like when you're elected president, there's an office you hold and that office has power and authority to govern over. And so the church, one of the things that, you know, the, the, the church did shortly after the resurrection is they started moving down this road. And again, I, when I I'll clarify that. I, I feel like some of the male disciples kind of went down this road where where they began to kind of have this view. And eventually what got established more through the Roman Catholic Church later was the sense of office. So they were like you you were the you hold the office of a bishop and you were an overseer over um other groups of people. And I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding. And what Jesus was trying to say is actually an Eastern concept. It's you find this in boot, you know, you find this in, in more Eastern ways of thinking, whether it be Hindus or Buddhists, but like in, in more of an enlightened Eastern way of thinking is that no human being is above or below another human being. Right. Um so so the, the, when we talk about leadership, um pastoring is is more descriptive in a function. So to shepherd to to it's 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 a function of who you are. So you don't have to have an office that has authority over another person. If you're a pastor, you simply have this kind of nurturing, caring, shepherding component to you, and it's something that you do functionally in life. It's not an office you hold over. So yeah. even the term rabbi that it was a it was a societal designation that they gave to Jesus, but Jesus had no identity in that title. You know, Jesus was just being who he was. So he's not like, I'm a rabbi because some, some organization designated me that title, like I W Knight, I W, you know, it's not, it's not like that, you know? So these are all societal terms. Now I get it. Um, a, a person usually holds the office of pastor for that reason, but it's, it's not inherently true. Well, 
And I and I and I would say that if Jesus, I mean, I, I would say Jesus was a cer- certainly a a Jew, and he was certainly a rabbi. Um, but I think when it comes to Jesus, and when it comes to uh, talking about like this this part of the question that's about uh, wasn't someone always in charge? What I think is brilliant about what Jesus does is that he takes that sort of thing and he flips it all on its yeah. head. And so the people that are quote and quote unquote in charge are the ones who sit at the bottom and serve the yes. all others. Yes. And so it, it flips the whole hierarchical thing. And so if you want to say, yeah, God ordained Aaron and sons and priests and blah, blah, blah. And, and if Jesus is our high priest, I'm totally fine with that. But Jesus uh, uh, subverts and, and flips it like a, like a table in the temple um, <laughs> up on its head and, and, and flips the whole thing upside down. And so if, our, if Jesus is our high priest, if he's quote unquote in charge, he's in charge by serving everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the beautiful thing of it is if we want to use that language, well, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is going to turn the whole notion on its head. Yep, and I totally agree with both of you guys on that. My answer to the question, the short answer is I wrote a whole book on that. It's the one I just put out, Jesus Unveiled. Uh, and I kind of go into all of that, going starting at the Old Testament, going straight through with Jesus uh, and explaining what this whole hierarchy thing is all about, where it comes from. And But uh, yeah, anyway, I agree with what you guys are saying. It's very true. All right. Well, we all agree, so great. <laughs> and we have a voicemail. Voicemail! Hi, guys. I love your podcast. Um, it's definitely helping me with things that I'm already starting to learn and have been learning. So, um, yeah, my question is um, related to, um, I guess, this whole idea of Jesus coming back. Like, does that happen at all? Like, I'm a preterist, and I do think pretty much most things, maybe even all things, happen in AD 70, but do you think he's still coming back? Is that like a relevant thing? Like, is there a perfection to the world that we should wait for? That kind of thing. So, yeah, just let me know. Thanks. That was, my name's Sandy, by the way. I'm in Virginia. Bye. Sandy in Virginia. Well, this is a great question. It's funny. This keeps coming up. Somebody just the other day sent me an email back for a second. Sandy, I thought you were this, you were Amy. Because I just got an email from someone the other day about this question. And I'm not sure what you guys think about this, but I mean, my where I've landed on this whole second coming of Jesus thing is that the, the um, and I believe this is based in what is revealed uh, in the language that we see in Revelation and even in Jesus and in Paul. Uh, I honestly believe that the uh, quote unquote second coming of Christ is the, is us. It's the, it's, we are the new incarnation of Christ in the world today. Um, so that started at Pentecost and it's continued ever since. Um, in other words, so to answer your question, should we be waiting for anything? Absolutely not. That's our problem. We're waiting. We keep waiting for something to happen. Uh, and yet there are verses that say things like, I think Paul says, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember where he says it, maybe in Colossians or something like that. But anyway, there's a verse where Paul says that all creation is groaning. All creation is waiting, not for Jesus to return. He says, all creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, meaning waiting for us to wake up and, and step into who our identity as the incarnation of Christ in the world. Like, um, So we should stop waiting. I think that we should not be waiting for Jesus to come back and fix everything. Uh, like, unfortunately, Christians have been for the last 2,000 years or so. We keep waiting for Jesus to hurry up and come back and fix it. But um, I think the opposite is true. I think God is waiting for us to step into and live out our calling um, uh, as the incarnation of Christ in the world today and to do the things that Jesus did. 
which is to care for people, love people, serve people, bless people, uh, et cetera. Um, that's, that, in my opinion, is the way the kingdom of God comes to earth incrementally, but inevitably. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think it was, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think it was John Dominic Crossan who uh, the, uh, he used the phrase, a collaborative eschatology. Mm. So meaning, meaning that uh, eschatology, you know, pertaining to the study of quote unquote, the end. Mm-hmm. I think if we're going to talk about eschatology in any sort of way like this, like the second coming of Christ, like you said, Keith, it's done collaboratively. Uh, we as all the um, little Christs, uh, if you want to use that term, bringing about the kingdom of God as a process. I don't, I, I personally, and this is just me, I no longer think of like Jesus riding in on some cloud and yeah. blah, 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 and, and, and doing all that stuff yeah. that I grew up with. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't cross my mind. My, my concern is how do I bring about change in the world? How do I bring about restorative justice? How do I bring about more love and more peace and more mercy and more grace and more compassion and all that good shit? Uh, all that good hippie stuff. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm right along with you, Keith. Like I, I, this whole notion in, in the Western world and, and particularly in Protestantism um, and particularly in, in like uh, evangelicalism and in, in, in a modern sense of the word, uh, it's so escapist. It's so about the afterlife and it's so about the rapture and it's so about Jesus coming and doing something. And we just sit around and wait and we just, we just sit here and pray and we just do this and that we don't actually do anything. And, and so this whole like waiting around for Jesus and I know people like this and they're, they're wonderful people. I'm sure they're loving people. They're great people, but it's just like, you're not living your life. You're not doing anything. Uh, let's just stop sitting around and waiting for Jesus and be, if we're the hands and feet of God, let's actually do something, right? Let's, let's, let's bring about the second quote unquote, second coming of Christ by being Christ incarnate. So that's, that's where I'm at now. Totally agree. Mm, So good guys. So good. I actually agree. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yes. Get it again. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. I think, I think, uh, it's it's been a very big disservice to you know a lot of what the church teaches about you know Jesus coming to return because it does feel like you know my gosh like if we just understand that there is there is there's a there's a, a lot of these things are metaphors so you know you know we're, we're looking for someone to return but a lot of a lot of things what we project on the outside world um, is, is really what we want to feel internally. So we're looking, honestly, like when I come home, you know, to myself, when I come, when I come into my own being and realize who I am and my identity and who are we, that's a, it's a question of who, who are we? So if we're waiting for the divine one, you know, if we see Jesus as the only human being that is this combination of divinity and humanity, then yeah, it, we kind of need him to come back to fix everything. We kind of need that. But what if we are that way? What if we are actually like him? And I know John the Apostle says, you know, as he is, as he is in the world. Well, how was he in the world? Well, Theologian would tell you, well, he's the he's the hypostatic union, you know, or I think it's the word for it, the the, the divine and the human being coming together, and we have God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel, you know, however you want to say it. Well, that's how he was in the world. 
2000 years ago when he walked the earth. I mean, what, I think a lot of folks, Christians would agree with that, but John says, Hey, as he is in the world, so are we. Yeah. It's the same thing. So like, yeah. that's a radical, radical statement. Um, it's no, it's not controversial to say that Jesus is God incarnate walking the earth. It's quite controversial to say, Hey, we are like that. But yeah. the reality is we are like that. I mean, I really believe that. And I think that's the whole reason Jesus said, it's really important for me to go because the Jewish context, they're all looking for this Messiah. Messiah is going to come. He's going to overthrow the Romans, going to make everything okay. And that was just not the case. He basically said, hey, this kingdom you're looking for, you already possess it it's within you. And he helped to see that. So I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And I'm just going to tell you that you're, the, you're it. <laughs> so listen to the Messiah and look at yourself. And by the way, the all of creation is longing for you. So I'm out of here. <laughs> so you can figure <laughs> out who you are. Yeah. Walk well, this way. Do greater works. So yeah. let's just, this is a, it's a crazy thing. But even the idea of time is like at the end of time, at the end of the age, I get it. Some, there's, a couple, there's different ways to look at that, but here's the quality. When you get very present, there is no time. You've, 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 you've entered the quality of eternal life, which is always right now. So in mm. that place, time ends for you. You come to the end of time and now you're here. And, and this is why, this is why Jamal's late for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Uh, oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. You are. No, you are. I'm sorry. You are. You really are. Um, hey, I, I, this leads, by the way, this leads us into our very next uh, text we received from the hotline. So I'm, I'll read the next one here. Uh, question, <clears throat> what becomes of Bible prophecy when conceding that the Bible is not inerrant? Are we still to believe Jesus was born of a virgin, quote, according to the scriptures, close quote? Where would his source of divinity come from if this were not the case? Oh, through the uh, ear. Yes, through, ear, the, through, through the ear. Weren't you listening to the previous? Oh, my gosh. No, this is a, no, but this is a really good question because I think um, yeah. this dovetails this dovetails beautifully into the what we were just talking about. So yeah, so here's the thing. Yeah, first of all, yeah, I, I think the three of us would agree the Bible is not inerrant, at least not the way uh, we've been taught. To no, don't, don't speak for me. I oh. think it's inerrant. I I forgot to tell you. Oh, sorry, right, sorry. Yes. Um, but the, but the thing about you know be Jesus being born of a virgin. By the way. Uh, again, it's one of these things where that's a popular idea that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's the prophecy. He'd be born of a virgin. But do you know, if you actually go and look at the original uh, Old Testament verse where that is quoted from, it, the word is not the word for virgin, meaning a girl who's never had sex. It's just this common word for a young girl. So all the prophecy is a young girl will give birth. That's it. Not a, not a, not a sinless, virginal, someone who's never had no, there's not a miraculous birth, not a virgin birth in the way, not in the way we've been taught to say. And so, you know, it's funny because I've, it's funny because I've struggled with this one as well. Um, because for the longest time I was taught to believe that, you know, there was a miraculous birth of Jesus. But I wonder sometimes even going back and rereading the gospels and the way the gospels explain, you know, what, what happened and what went on. Just even the fact that like this, the angel appears to Joseph or the angel appears to Mary and says, the child conceived in you is of God. It's sort of like, maybe it was already conceived. And the, and what the angel is saying is, hey, it's okay. This child is blessed of God. This child is anointed of God. God has a plan for this child. Not, necess not, not necessarily affirming this is some miraculous thing that's happened out of the clear blue sky. Um, but anyway, I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I've got a couple thoughts. And, and you know, if you want to take a shot, it's early, but uh, I'll problematize things. Um, do we still play that game? Sure. Some people do. But <laughs> if you're playing at home, um, I think there's something interesting to the um, – like I would never say that Mary was biologically a virgin, like she never had sex. I don't think that's the point. And I think we can draw some deeper meaning out of that. Um, so, for instance, if you look at like a lot of – I mean, there's a lot of mythologies about sons of gods being born. And um, typically, there's gods who uh, rape or force uh, a woman into sex, and then a son of a god is born. And so there's this whole coercive act. And I think when we talk about the the quote unquote virgin birth of Jesus, we, we can read this text in light of other ancient mythologies and say, okay, well, this god, this god doesn't coerce. This god doesn't uh, have sex with a woman out of her con- without her consent. Blah blah blah. So I think there's a there's a bigger there's a deeper truth to this that that this is going to be different than the other mythologies yep. that we tell about how gods have kids yep. with non-consensual human women. So I think that's one important caveat. Um, another is I don't see Bible prophecy as some sort of like uh, you predict something's going to happen and therefore it happens. I see, I see prophets in the Bible critiquing the status quo and critiquing those on top. And so I can totally have um, a non-inerrant Bible and still have biblical prophecy be something important because it's not about uh, picking the numbers of a, of, a, of a bingo game or picking the lotto numbers. It's not about a prediction. It's about um, accurately critiquing the status quo, the cultural as, as such, the, uh, those on top and how they're oppressing those on bottom and speaking truth into that that mechanism that drives uh, power structures, politics, religion, all that sort of shit. Um, So I see prophecy as a lot different than how I grew up, meaning like, oh, you had to predict everything right. That was the sign of a true prophet. Now to me, the sign of a true prophet is is one who challenges the status quo and, and says, you know what? If you keep going down this path, you all are going to end up in Gehenna, let's say, like Jeremiah would say, or or Jesus, who would say, you if you keep going this way, which you are, the temple is going to fall. Not a not a stone is going to remain standing. You're going to end up in hell or Gehenna yeah. again. So it's more about it's more about an accurate critique of the power structures rather than um, some sort of picking the right. You know, you know, having some sort of like. Um, foresight into actual events of the future that are going to play out X, Y, and Z. Uh, so those are just my thoughts. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, um, Matt, when you're talking about, um, looking at the deeper meaning within it, I think that's, that's what, that's probably the, that's where I like to go with it is, you know, because again, we can debate back and forth, you know, is there evidence for the virgin birth? Not that kind of thing. Is this, did it actually factually happen? That kind of thing. But with any, again, you're talking about ancient literature, um, you know, these ideas and obviously even just the whole concept of the virgin giving birth. Um, this is, this is something that there's a deeper meaning if we'll see it in there. And again, 
it's it's to me not important whether it factually happened or not but so we're trying to tell a story in our myths even with like yeah, like like ancient myths. There's there's a deeper there's a longing of the human ex- human beings are trying to express something. We see it in our movies today, superhero movies. You know the whole all the you know X Men and you know all this all these kind of like movies that are out there about people that are not just ordinary people, but there's some there's some extraordinary power. This is the human spirit speaking, and there's something we're trying to latch onto about who we are. These are profound questions about identity. So here we have Jesus, who is this, obviously the idea that he is a divine human. You know, this understand this story communicates that God impregnated Mary. And here we have the offspring, which is this divine human. That's the point is like, it's pointing to this, this, there's this mystery of human and divine in one person walking the earth in a body. And then, of course, Jesus moves on in throughout his life. And one of the things that Jesus does very clearly and repetitively is he identifies not like partially with humanity. Like, I'm kind of like you guys, but I've got this other side of me that's divine. That's what the church is taught. But Jesus never did that. He basically fully identifies with human beings. And that's, um, I think it's a statement about all of us. What if the virgin birth... The, in, the birth of like this mystery in which divinity and humanity come together is actually a picture of all of us. Because, you know, I, I remember not too long ago, like watching this, there was this thing on TV. Um, uh, I was watching this. I think it came on the news, but there was some breakthrough that scientists had made. I don't know exactly. It was, or it was a, it was a break. It was, they were looking at the conception of a human egg and a sperm when it came together and they had this high powered microscope that could see the moment it happened. And there was this explosion of light when yeah, it's a moment that. of conception. It was like amazing. amazing. And to me, what I, I was like, wow, that's a look at that. Like the divinity being in, infused lights. You know, we think of God as a light and power and all these things, but like that literally that light is being infused right there with the sperm and the egg. And what does it say about human identity? You know, I just feel like it's like a picture of the virgin birth, God becoming, or in, in, you know, manifesting as a human being, like just incredible. That's what I would look at the virgin birth as being a metaphor of for all of us, not just mm. Jesus, you know? Mm. Yep. Um, yeah. Good stuff guys. Uh, yeah, we got one, we got one more text, uh, which I'll read. Um, quote, when Ralph sells the movie rights to the story of choir, which we know <laughs> is coming, right? I see, <laughs> I see Vin Diesel playing Jamal. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Sam Elliott playing Keith, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor playing Matt. I don't know what that means, but you guys can help me. Uh, and a beefed up Michael Pena playing Ralph. Who do y'all expect to play you? End quote. <laughs> so help me help. I know who Jesse Eisenberg is, but what do you mean as Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor? Well, no, Jesse Eisenberg played Lex Luthor in the Superman versus uh, Batman movie. Okay. See, I, I, I'm, I'm not a film guy. I'm not a film guy, but uh, so who do you think would play you, Matt? I don't fucking know. I don't know actors, and I, I suck when it comes to all that stuff. How about Adam Driver? Adam Driver could play you. Is he hot and ripped? And he's really, yes, and he's really tall. He's the new Darth. Uh, what's his name? He's the Darth. the new Star Wars movies. Okay, sure. He's also in Black Klansman. He, he's the white cop playing the black cop. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anyone? Um, yeah, I, I don't care. Who who wants to play me? Well, I, don't care. 
I would say Sam, I mean, by the way, thank you, Sam Elliott. I wish I had his voice. I'm not sure I look like him so much, but um, yeah. I love his voice. But you know, everyone's always me, the mustache. Yeah. Um, everyone's told me you know, that, that I look like there's an actor, very, not very well known actor. His name is Dave Foley. He was on a TV show called uh, News Radio. Uh, he was he was on a, another comedy show called Kids in the Hall, and he's the voice of Flick from Bugs Life. But if you look this guy up, Dave Foley, and you, I do, I mean, he's one of the few actors that people have told me I look like him, and I thought, yeah, I kind of do. I can, yeah, I just looked it up. I, I can see it. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Is that a Brad Pitt? I don't know. <laughs> Wait, well, well, <laughs> oh my Brad gosh. Pitt. Oh, Brad Pitt is, is often often eating in, in certain films that he does. He's always eating something. You know, that's that's me. And, and that is kind of like you. So I can see that. <clears throat> you know, uh, with Vin Diesel, the Vin Diesel uh, comment, I get that a lot because of my bald head and because I don't have any hair. And Vin Diesel also doesn't have hair. So I so bald guys typically can look like, can get uh, lumped together. You right. know? So I, I get that. I don't, I, I'm going to go, I'm just, I know this might be shocking, but I don't actually have the physique that um that Vin Diesel has. Oh, don't be modest. Height. Don't be modest. It's okay. I'm just trying to say I can all it's it's uh but but I can see sort of like there's some facial similarities there. Um but you know I actually got this a lot. Now I'm not black. Um however <clears throat> when um <laughs> a long time ago, especially when the French Fresh Prince of Bel Air was um more popular, people used to say that if I was black I would be Carlton. Yeah, no, and, I see that. I see that. You know what I mean? Like people, I have numerous, numerous people have told me that I, I'm like they were. I remind them of Carlton. I don't know if that's an insult or not, but oh, I would go. I would, I, think I, would I, you, I would stick with Vin Diesel. <laughs> I mean, if my yeah. choice was Carlton or Vin Diesel, I would personally, I would choose Vin Diesel. Do you, do you dance like Carlton though? Yeah, every yeah, you gotta yeah, do that. Yeah, I mean, Taylor would say I do. <laughs> So, uh, but my question is Ralph, because I don't. First of all, don't I don't know who Michael Pena is. I don't either. Well, have you? Well, what about? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's um, Full House? Uncle Jesse. Isn't that been established? Yes. What do you mean, Uncle Jesse, as in John it's Stamos? Stamos? Yes. Ralph looks like John Stamos. Yes. You think so? You don't think so? I don't know. I got to look at the picture. Yeah, I guess. Dude, it's like spinning image. But I see Michael Pena with the glasses, with the black rim glasses. I could see that. Yeah. But John Stamos too. My wife would like that. She has a crush on John Stamos, I think. So. There's actually a picture of Ralph with, um, I, I think, like the hairdo of John Stamos. It's like a like a Photoshop pic. It was like identical. It's got his face on it. It's like, yeah, this totally is him. Oh. Well, cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, there you go. We have something to look forward to. Maybe, maybe by next year. When we hit the three-year anniversary and we hit our millionth uh, download, it'll be popular enough. There'll be a Netflix film with us mm-hmm. um, about the choir story. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I like Jesse Eisenberg, but I don't know if he could play me. He's uh, he's kind of goofy. I'm kind of goofy too, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not buying that one. I got, I don't think I got some of that. I need someone with swag. I think you're right. So, I don't know. How about Eminem? Eminem can play <laughs> Look like Eminem, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. That, this has been fun. This has been a fun episode. I love doing these. I like the first one that we did, the hotline number one, and this has been fun too. And uh, now that we've cleared the pipes, as Keith said, we've cleared uh, the pipes. Good. Yeah, that's what she said. Um, I, I, yeah. Make sure, 
make sure as we go forward, you keep giving us those texts and those hotlines because uh, I'm sure there'll be a part three because we said this wouldn't last 50 some odd episodes. And so I know it's going to, we're, we're going to keep going. And so we'll get to a part three. I know it. Well, yeah, look, I mean, here's the thing. The tank is empty, everybody. You got to fill it back up again. So please oh text God. us. Yep. Fill, fill that tank up again. <laughs> the hotline is empty. The so. hotline is empty, everybody. Yes. yes. So fill you know up. what to do. You know what to do. So, uh, yeah, yeah. As we wrap up here, uh, make sure you guys bookmark our website, heretichappyhour.com, so that you uh, stay up to date when we got new episodes. We got a store on there. Uh, buy our shirts. They're awesome. I have one. Keith has one. Jamal, you got one, right? Yeah, Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene. Is there of course, Mary? your girl. That's right. There's a Mary Magdalene shirt. Yeah. There <laughs> is, if you recall. Yes. Yes. And uh, make sure if uh, if you want to support us and you want to get – we do all this bonus content, as we've said before. We've got bonus interview episodes. We've got uh, extra stuff that we, we keep the tape rolling after we stop. Uh, make sure you support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. You can also, uh, yeah, we've got a group attached to that on Facebook that if you uh, join us on there, you can keep chatting with us uh, after the show stops. So thank you for all our supporters out there. We love you. And uh, yeah. Yep. And we do. We do love you guys so much. And in, in the process recently of redoing our Patreon tiers, we've um, we added a $2 a month tier. And um, at the, even at that bottom level and above, but if you're even if you're that entry level, um, you get now entry into a private Facebook group we've created only for uh, Patreon supporters. And so you can go there, sign up on Patreon for two dollars. We'll let you into the Facebook, the Heritage Capyar private Facebook group. Uh, and we what we did with the with the existing um, Heritage Capyar Facebook group we originally had, uh, we renamed that as the Heresy After Hours group. And we also welcomed in a lot of other uh, podcasts that also deal with deconstruction. So it's more of a shared ecosystem of sort of conversations about deconstruction in general. Uh, and so we invited people like Seth Price from Can I See This at Church and uh, Jason Elam from Messy Spirituality and Table at Cana and all these other guys, Michelle from Bookish and all those other people. And so, yeah, it's a lot more fun now. Um, and now we have two Facebook groups you can join. And um, there you go. Take advantage of that. Yes. And guys, I have an announcement. One last announcement before we end the show. We are we are now on iTunes as a podcast. And so that means <laughs> finally. finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we are we are <clears throat> as of right now on on iTunes. And so people can that means people can go and rate us. You can give us five stars and you can uh, write a review and really helps if you do that. Helps us um, again, so if, you, if you're a listener and you have not yet done that, and so that means you, yes, you, that's right, you, um, go to iTunes and rate us five stars only and then um, write a review. And that would really greatly help the podcast get visibility. Thank you. All right. It's fun, guys. Oh, yeah. Guys. Good book, guys. All right. Go, go Michigan. <laughs>